This is Vintage Broadcasting. The following is a study through the book of Philippians. My name is Frank Moss. I hope this study proves beneficial to you in the days to come. I thank you very much. We're going to start our study here in Philippians chapter 3 as we've gone through 1 and 2 of the book of Philippians. And there's something that we can have as a Christian that is better than happiness. I mean, I like to be happy. I like to see my grandchildren happy, my children and my wife. But I do realize that happiness is a fleeting emotion. It comes and it goes. It depends on a circumstance or a situation. The Christian has something that exceeds that. It's far better than happiness. Paul said this way, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it's we who are the circumcision, and that we who worship by the Spirit of God, we glory in Christ, and we put no confidence in the flesh. He's getting their attention, and he's going to begin to point them in a particular direction. Remember that he loved these people in Philippi, the first church in Europe. They were dear friends of his, and he thought highly of them. The third chapter of Philippians is probably one of the most beloved chapters in Paul's letter here. In it, he sets forth a lot of the basic fundamental doctrines of the Christian life, and he uses stirring language of his own personal desires to know and to serve the Lord Jesus. It's interesting, however, that the doctrines that are included are not included so much for their own sake, but as a natural outgrowth of a challenge to the Christians at Philippi. And their challenge was to be joyful. Paul is suggesting that joy is founded to a very large degree on sound doctrine. And where do you get sound doctrine? From the scriptures. So Paul is pointing them to the word of God. They're pointing us to the word of God. In pastoring large churches, I've never done that, but there are pastors who have spoken about the privilege to visit Christians that are confined in hospitals and nursing homes through illness, and who give evidence of supernatural joy even in the midst of their suffering. There's one lady who was confined to a senior living center because of a form of acute crippling arthritis, and it left her unable to walk or even to move freely without a great deal of pain. She was unable to care for herself in the very simple things of life, and at times she was truly, truly in almost unbearable pain. But she managed to speak of the goodness and the grace of God, not only to herself, but to, but to many others who were there with her in the home. And in a senior citizen center, it's not a matter of uh, everybody being senile looking at each other. They all know what life is like and where it has taken them. And they all know what it's like to be aged and have problems. And yet, when they see somebody reacting in such a way, it amazes them, even in their old age. This lady, old, crippled, tired, she knew what real joy was all about. And she showed it daily, even in the midst of her suffering. There was another guy that had horrible heart problems. And instead of complaining about his condition and the problems that he faced, the medical service and all the tests that had to be run, he thought of what all the Lord had done for him in the past days. And he was praying for everybody there in the hospital. He prayed for the doctors, the nurses, and the other patients as they passed by his door in wheelchairs and as they walked by. This man knew what it meant to always rejoice in the Lord. And he had set himself 
to do that. They exercised a supernatural joy. And that is our birthright as Christians, and that is what Paul is wanting us to see. That is what God is showing us here. Jesus promised you and I joy. He promised you and I, if we follow him, joy. There was an angel who came to announce the birth of Christ to a bunch of ignorant shepherds that were standing in a field. And he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you great news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he's Christ the Lord. Jesus said, I told you these things so that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be complete. John 17, we read Jesus praying to his Father that they might have the full measure of my joy within them. So Christ is pleading with his Father that you and I would know joy. Joy is the birthright that you have being a Christian. Now, you may say, well, I'm getting ripped off because I don't know much about joy. Well, that's what we're going to look at today. The joy that Paul wishes to see in the people there in Philippi is what Christ wants to see within you and me. So we need to understand, what is this joy? It's a supernatural delight in God and his goodness. It's something that motivates you every day. You think about it. You wonder about it. You pray about it. You read about it. Every Christian virtue has its counterpart in the so-called virtue of the world. The world has sex, and the Christians have love. The world says we need security. They have money. Christians have trust. They have God. The world seeks self-gratification. Christians know satisfaction, peace, and contentment. The world seeks happiness. Well, the Christian's counterpart here is joy. Happiness is our translation of the Latin word fortune. And it's closely related to chance. Thus, if things happen to work out the way you want them to, let's say you start a business venture and it produces a lot of money. And so you say, well, fortunately, things went well. But if they didn't turn out as you had hoped, then you would back up and be somewhat discouraged and say, unfortunately, it didn't work out. So consequently, we're a bit unhappy. The happiness that you experience, that you aim for in this life, is based on circumstances. Joy is not. Joy is an inner quality of delight in God. It's a calm assurance that God has got you. He knows you. He understands you and he loves you. And this springs up within the Christian in a way that's unrelated to the adversaries that he faces or the circumstances that he faces or his health and his well-being. It's a joy that abides within the man that is put there by God himself. Unfortunately, it's impossible to speak of the supernatural qualities of Christian joy without saying at the same time that there are a lot of people who profess to be Christians that have no experience of this joy, or they lose it or seem to have lost it after the initial joy of their salvation. Circumstances get them down. And instead of a victory Christians should experience, they suffer depression and discouragement and despair. One of our great hymns speaks on victory, even in death. And it says, Through deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I, the Lord, 
will be with thee thy troubles to bless and to sanctify to thee thy deepest distress in the darkest of times so we can know the joy of the Lord. There's other hymns that tell about the loss of joy that's characteristic of the lives of many Christians. A hymn writer once wrote, Lord, how we grovel here below, bond of these trifling toys. Our souls can neither fly nor go to reach eternal joy. Another songwriter added, How tedious and tasteless the hours, when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, sweet flowers, all have lost their sweetness to me. That's a sad confession. And it's doubly sad because it's true for many professing Christians. Is this true of you? It shouldn't be. Instead of depression and despair, there should be joy in the Lord. A joy that goes beyond our understanding. A joy that goes beyond our circumstances. Do you know this joy? Do you know it? In studying and reading these things, I had to back up and say, Lord, do I know this joy? Now, we might back up and say, well, I know I should have it. I know, and I'm trying, and I would like to rejoice in the Lord always, but you just don't understand the things that I'm facing, the problems that I have with my heart or my health, uh, my mother's suffering, my wife, is, it's, it's just a bad situation. My children, you don't understand. The circumstances, they're pretty rough. Well, you have to back up and say, can this joy be sustained? Is it something that is real, that I can really, really partake of? Well, the answer is in God's Word. And we must follow it like we would follow a doctor's prescription. Several years ago, I was in some trouble, and the doctor told me to do certain things. And I knew that if I didn't do them, I wouldn't be here. So I followed them faithfully. If you see a doctor about feeling tired and run down, and he tells you to exercise and increase your vitamins, well, you go down to the drugstore and you buy vitamins, and you figure out a way to exercise. You plan some exercise into your day. In the same way, if we lack Christian joy, we need to adhere to God's remedy. He is, if you recall, the great physician. This remedy can be summed up in several principles, and these are not um, a complete list. But here are some things that could help us greatly. The first principle is that you begin by becoming a Christian. That seems obvious, right? It seems obvious that we need to say this, but there's a lot of people who try to live the Christian life, and they're trying to change the way and trying to improve, but they just can't seem to get there because they're rejecting submission to Christ. They don't understand it. The first class of people comprise those who are not Christians, and they know it. But they think that we can improve ourselves in such a way without incorporating Christ into our lives. Now, if you're that kind of person, you need to recognize that joy is a supernatural thing. It's not something that you just gin up with inside yourself. It's given to those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. There's a second class of people who are not Christians, but they think they are. And perhaps because they were raised in a religious home or they attend church. My mama's a Christian, my daddy's a Christian. Yeah, I've been going to church all my life. So they think they're Christians, but they don't understand the heart of the gospel. And they've never truly committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Hence, they cannot and they do not understand why they aren't experiencing the fruits of joy. They're not enjoying their commitment.
Now, if you're like this, you have to begin first by becoming a Christian. Now, to explain this plainly, before you become a Christian, you stand before God as one who has fallen short of his standards. God said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. As a man apart from Christ, I was not holy. There was no way I could even claim that. And people would ask me as a young man, are you a Christian? And I would tell them, no, I'm not. Because I knew I wasn't. Some people, they come before God with their good works. Based on a religious teaching they're receiving, if you do enough good works and you make certain resolutions and you have the right desire, then you'll be okay. You present all your best character traits and then you stand before God and you see that even the best that you offer is imperfect and they don't stand up before God. Cain brought the best of the garden. He brought the best of the food that he grew and he presented it to God. It was the best that he had. And the Lord said, no. You can't bring that which is worked through humans and present it to me because humans are tainted by sin. And the foundation that you build on is tainted by sin. And that won't be allowed in heaven. You have to abandon that stuff. Well, how do you do that? Well, a lot of people will say, well, just lay them aside. Well, okay. You're trying to do that. I tried to do it. And I couldn't do it. You can't, everything is lost. Well, I did. I, I'm willing to forsake it. But Lord, I can't do it. I couldn't quit smoking. I couldn't quit drinking. I couldn't quit doing or thinking these things. I didn't know what to do. Then God worked in my heart and I had to just sit before God and admit that everything I have tried falls short. Lord, I give you the best that I have and I know it's not good enough. And I recognize your verdict on it. I lay it aside. I, I give it to you. I don't want it. Take it. It's yours. I don't want it. There's nothing that I deserve from you. And I come empty-handed. I don't have anything to offer you, Lord. But I receive everything that you promised to give me through faith in Christ. Lord, give me grace to receive these things from your hand. I come, Lord, to you for righteousness. I come to you, Lord, to receive your Holy Spirit by whom I will have the power to live the Christian life. Lord, I lay it all before you. Help me to live for Jesus. Amen. You come before the Lord and just plead your case. Tell him everything. He knows. Now, if you've done that, you've taken the first step to experiencing the joy that characterizes the Christian life. Righteousness and peace and joy. The second step is this. To experience God's joy, you first need to know his righteousness and his peace. Now, this means that a life of holiness and trust are prerequisites. Now, where is your holiness? What do you have to do now? You have to trust the Lord. And he gives you that ability. Now, the order of these things is outlined in Romans 14, verse 17, if you want to read it. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a group out today called the Hebrew Roots Group. And they're saying that when we come to Christ, we now back up and have to obey the Mosaic laws. Well, that's antithetical to anything that we're reading here. It's not about following dietary laws and restrictions. It's not about drinking certain things or living a certain way. It's about the righteousness of Christ being given to us and the peace of God given to us and the filling of our hearts with the joy 
that is provided by the Holy Spirit. Many Christians don't know the joy that can be theirs because their lives are not holy and they're not trusting God for their future. Now, how do you achieve this? How do you reach these things? Well, we're going to get into that. There's a girl, and I'm running to several of them. I'm an old guy now, so it doesn't apply to me, but there's girls that I've known that wanted to get married. Marriage was so, so important for them. They looked for the right guy. Some of them set their hat for a, uh, an athletic star or a doctor, somebody special. But they weren't following God's principles. They were looking to get married. And instead of admitting that God's plan is the best, whatever it is, they say, no, I have to get married. And so their determination to get married leads them into many situations that clearly are not God's will. And they actually lead her into sin. This one girl that I know, she had a way. She got married, had children, but she was not happy at all. It wasn't anything that she thought it was going to be. And she's the first to admit that she certainly was not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Sin will keep you from God, who is the source of joy. Sin will block your joy and your peace. Sin will bring anxiety, and anxiety works against joy. Instead of sin and anxiety in our lives, we as Christians should be experiencing a life of holiness and peace. And we need to realize that God's peace is real if we submit to what he tells us to do. Paul says this, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So there's a third step to a life of continuous joy. And that is, you drown yourself in the teachings of the Bible. Well, now it sounds like you're trying to brainwash me into living a certain way. I want to inform you of something. If, uh, let's say you're 25 years old and you've gone through school, you've got your college degree, you've gone through the public schools, and you've been taught certain things all your life. Would you call that brainwashing? They're not teaching you of Christ and his principles and how to submit to God. They're teaching you of how to live in this world and how to submit to the principles and requirements of this world. So you say you, you don't want to get brainwashed. Well, you've got to get your understanding in line here. As you drown yourself in the teachings of Scripture, you start understanding who God is and what He wants. The joy begins to creep into your life, and you're surprised by joy. If you begin to study, you'll see that joy in Scripture is always associated with a mature knowledge of God's Word. Jeremiah said, And your words became a joy to me, and a delight to my heart, for I be called by your name, Lord God of armies. David said, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Psalm 19, verse 8. Psalm 119, verse 14 declares, I rejoice in following your statutes, which means commandments or laws, decrees, and testimonies, like one who rejoices in great riches. Jesus said, if you obey my command, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Now, these things, these verses teach us that joy is found in the knowledge of God's commandments, and that these are to be found 
in his word. Not in a bunch of books, not in a bunch of preachers, but in the Bible. Now, if you haven't known the joy of the Lord, one reason to look and consider is a neglect of studying the Bible. One of the greatest problems in the church of our day is biblical illiteracy. People don't know what the Bible says, and they're surprised when they hear certain things. They're taught other things and doctrines that aren't in accordance with Scripture, but they don't study to verify and to see, so they're led astray. People don't know their Bible. And a good example of this is a guy that was driving down the road, and he got pulled over by the policeman. And the policeman came up, and of course, he said, do you know why I pulled you over? And he said, no, I don't. He said, well, you were going 60 in a 45. Well, he didn't know it. He didn't see the signs. He wasn't aware of it. Well, okay, so now he has to pay a fine. It didn't make him happy at all. He wasn't happy at all with things because it was a happy fine. But he didn't know because he wasn't paying attention. He wasn't looking and trying to find out. That's what happens as Christians. We tend to go to church. We tend to listen to the radio. We tend to listen or read other books or whatever. But we don't sit down and study the Bible for ourselves. You know, in the Old Testament, one of the things that looked kind of strange as you try to picture it while you're reading it is these things, the little frontal objects that the priest wore on their foreheads. It was called a frontlet, and it contained some words of Scripture. Even though they were memorized words of Scripture, the frontlet was worn in order to remind them that God's Word was the object of the most profound meditations and the source of principles by which they ordered their lives. There was a command given in the Old Testament three times, and in each case, the practice related to one of the principal doctrines of Scripture. In Exodus 13.9, we read about the events that took place in Egypt at the first Passover. It illustrated how the, how the Lord would pass over those whose sins were covered by the death of Christ, and he would deliver them by judgment. He would deliver them from judgment. After a summation of these events, the chapter says, This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. The first doctrine they were to have before their eyes was the doctrine of the atonement, an understanding of salvation through the shedding of blood. Do you understand that Christ, the eternal creator, sustainer, sovereign God of all eternity, died by shedding his blood for you. Do you understand what that means? The second time the frontlets were mentioned is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. And here we read a summary of the character and the requirements of God. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk to them while you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The second great doctrine is understanding the nature of God and our responsibility to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul and all of our strength. Now there's a third mention in Deuteronomy 11 verse 18. God is setting forth the principle here by which he will bless the life of any individual or nation. The principle is obedience. Where there's no obedience, he will send judgment.
after a statement of this principle, we read, fix these words in your mind and in your hearts and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. That's in Deuteronomy 11, 19-21. Obedience is to characterize our lives as God's people, and that is not the case today. In this life, you and I are never going to master all the great truths that we find in Scripture. The Word of God is inexhaustible. It's endless. The more I study it, the more I find out that I really don't know a lot about what I'm studying. God himself is unfathomable. And if our joy depends on our mastery of all these things, we'll never get to experience the joy that he gives. Instead, our joy depends on our relationship to God and our life with him. He is the satisfaction of God's desires. If there is to be any joy in the Christian life, that there should be, there has to be a deep and growing experience of the basic truths upon which the Christian life is built. We have to understand the nature of atonement that Christ made for us, and we have to strive to know God better and to love him. And we have to live obediently, try. We have to attempt to live obedient lives before him as his children. There is a great deal of unrest in the world, and this unrest is growing by leaps and bounds. And it's almost inevitable that you will see this unrest flow into the church as well. A lot of things are getting turned around in the presentation of the gospel. We're hearing that you need to find the best you now. We have one preacher walking across stage declaring that he is God Almighty. We have those that tell us we have to have a lot of money and if we get sick that we're in sin. So there's a lot of confusion that is filling the churches today. But you... You have the Bible, and you have the Holy Spirit, and you have two knees to kneel down on. You can spend time before God, studying and digging into the Word of God. People are looking for somebody who can bring them to safety and stability, and they'll submit to that individual. They will. They're looking for somebody who can give them uh, hope. One man told me that he voted for Joe Biden in order to end all the confusion that was going on. Sadly, that hadn't happened. Our nation's more confused now than at any time I had ever known. Men, trusting men and looking to men, are not finding answers. You think your good job is going to last you. What happens when you get laid off? It's not a political problem, and it's not a financial problem. The unrest that you and I experience, or that humanity experiences, is a moral and a spiritual problem. You'll never find peace outside of Christ, and never is a deliberate word. It's a drastic term that speaks of finality. Never will you find peace outside of Christ. There'll always be unrest for those who don't know Jesus Christ. Apart from him, there is no peace, no joy, and no happiness. And this should never be the case in the life of a Christian. Now, if you're a Christian, draw close to God. Feed on the Bible, read and study God's Word, and God will fill you with all joy and peace as you learn to trust Him.